many of you guys have a song that whenever it comes on the radio, or whenever you hear it in the in in a, in a show or something, you go, "Oh, I hate this song." Oh yeah. <laughs> now Evelyn's got her hand raised because she thought I was going in a different direction, but there's one song that I listen to when it comes on, and I'm I just want to either fast forward and get done with it. Or turn the channel, I can't stand the song. And God brought it to me this week and wouldn't leave me alone with it. So I'm going to share the song with you. Now, I need you to listen to it. The words are on the screen. And listen carefully to the words because there's going to be a test at the end. No, there's not going to be a test. But there is, there is some challenge to these lyrics. This is not a Christian song by any stretch of the imagination, but there is Bible in this song. And it is talked about in our culture, in our Western culture, as being a modern day hymn. Okay? I'll leave it with that. Listen. Had anyone not heard that song before? For those of you who don't know anything about it, let me share a little bit about this song. First of all, the group that sang in this video is known as Pentatonics. They are one of the top and premier acapella groups in our culture today. They included this song on their Christmas album. Seems incongruous to me. How in the world is that a Christmas song? But it was accepted wildly by their fans. It's a beautiful song. Musically, it is just rich. And their arrangement, their cover, is just gorgeous. And that video, the way it was done, it was so artistic and beautiful. And I loved, at the end, the hallelujah is just flying through the air. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. It was beautiful art. What in the world does that have to do with Christmas or God? If there is a God above, then all I've... What? Well, one of the things that I learned about this song, as God would not leave me alone with it this week was it was written by a man named Leonard Cohen. Leonard Cohen died recently, and that's one of the reasons why it became so prominent in our culture over this last year. Um, Leonard Cohen, when he wrote it, he's he a poet, but he was also a musician. I want to say, and I could be wrong, so don't hold me to this, I want to say this was written like in 1989, I think it was either 69 or 89. I don't remember the date now from my, from just my reading. But Leonard Cohen started this as just a poem. It was just a poem of lament. And this lament that he was writing took on a life of its own. It started out with Bible references and it just went into personal stuff. And when it was finished, there were over 80 verses to this poem slash song. The song that you'll hear on the radio, the song that you hear recorded, that you see these videos, 
It, there may be differences in the lyrics, and the reason for that is there are 80 to choose from. 80 verses to choose from. But, um, so, so this was a personal lament written by a poet about his own world, his own references. And then it was put to music, and it has become, in our culture, a hymn. Now you understand why I turn it off? Why it bothers me when I hear it? But God would not leave me alone with it this week. Now, you heard me use a term called lament. Do you know what that word means? Have you ever heard that term before? A lament is simply a cry. It's a wail. It is a... I am grieving, I am in pain, I am sorrowful, I am mourning. Ah! Ah! It's more than just simply going, no, I don't feel good. It's a, it's an outpouring from the core of your being to just, ah! And see, in our Western Christian culture, we worship a God that loves us. We worship a God that has given us certain specific promises that says, if any two of you agree about any one thing, that it will be done for you by our Father who is in heaven. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God, and the peace of God, which peace of Christ, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall have no need. And I could go on and on and on. We in our Western Christian culture want a warm, fuzzy, loving God that we honor and we hold up as king and as the authority. But it's a challenge to our theology when things aren't good. When disappointment hits us. When I have prayed diligently that my brother would come to know Christ before he died and he doesn't. What about that, God? But I can't do that, God, because that's not how we worship you. That's not how we're supposed to honor you. We're supposed to always love you. We're supposed to always praise your name. We're supposed to be thankful in all things. But let me share with you that lament is part of worship. Lament is a big part of worship. Let me give you a for instance. How many psalms are there in the Bible? Oh, come on, you can't. You have to look it up. 150. Okay? There's 150 psalms in the Bible. Now, in the Bible, there are various types of psalms, okay? 
there are what are called wisdom psalms, Torah psalms, liturgy or liturgical psalms. Liturgical means um, uh, the, the form of worship, the the the. The, the practice of worship. The, it actually means the work of the people is what liturgy actually means. The work of the people in a worship service or in a worship thing. The, there are praise and hymn psalms. There are psalms of trust. There are psalms of thanksgiving, both community thanksgiving and individual thanksgiving. There are also lament psalms. And take a guess of the 150 psalms there are, how many of those psalms are lament psalms, would you guess? 75. 75? Well, that would be half. 40? Anybody else? There are 67 lament songs, eight less than half. So that means in the worship practices of ancient Israel and ultimately us, because our roots are from the Hebrew scriptures, almost half of the worship songs that were sung in worship were songs of lament. Let me share with you a, ch a, a chart, and you'll have to take pictures of it because there's no way I can leave it up on the screen that long for you to write them all down. But in the lament psalms, there are community lament psalms. What does that mean? That means collectively, we, the, these psalms talking about us, as a group of worshipers lamenting. There are also individual lament songs, psalms. And again, and you can see, that is the largest of the four types of lament. There's community, individual, and then there is penitential and imprecatory. I understand what it means, community lament. That means everyone's upset. I understand individual lament. That means I'm upset. Penitential. What does that mean? When you say, I am sorry, God, please forgive me for my sins, you are doing an act of penance. You are displaying penitence. So a penitential psalm is one where you say to God, Please forgive me. I'm sorry. Look at Psalm 51. We sang that this morning. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and renew a right spirit within me. That's Psalm 51, almost word for word. 
Psalm 51 is a penitential psalm. So you see, you can take psalms of lament and bring them into your own personal worship time when you're having your quiet time with the Lord. Imprecatory psalms. These are the fun ones that you learn about in Bible college. That's a term that I always know when I hear it and I always have to look it up. What does it mean? Anything that is uh, anything that is imprecatory means you are calling curses down upon someone else. Okay? So these one, two, three, four, five, six, seven imprecatory psalms literally say things like, dash the little babies against the rocks. May they suffer as much as I've suffered. Well, that's not appropriate in worship. That's not appropriate prayer. Is it? Is it? Who wrote many of the Psalms? King David. What's David's story? Share with me just the basics. What what is his story? And where did David end up during that war against David? In the wilderness of En Gedi, hiding out in caves. You remember the one story where David and his men are in the very back of a cave, and King Saul goes into that very cave to go to the bathroom, and while Saul is squatting down, doing number two, David's men go, the Lord has delivered your enemy into your hands. Kill him. And David says, I cannot put my hand against the Lord's anointed. But he takes his knife and he cuts a corner off of Saul's robe and he holds on to it. And then Saul leaves. And then David, after a period of time, comes out to the mouth of the cave and calls, Saul, King Saul. And they have an interchange and David holds up the part of his robe and says, God made it possible for me to kill you, but you need to know I'm not against you. I could have killed you. Here I hold your a piece of your robe in my hand, but I could have killed you. And I didn't because I want you to know I am not against you. And Saul relents and says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But they never get really reconciled. All of those days that David is in hiding in fear of his life is when he wrote most of these psalms. And he wrote a number of these psalms of lament. So in his personal, private, quiet time with God, meditating on the pain that he's experiencing, the loss that he's experiencing, he lost his friend Jonathan, he lost his place. He can't, he doesn't even have freedom at this point. He's under such pressure because he knows that he's called to be the king, but it is not his to take. It is his to wait for. All of that 
roiling around in the breast while he's trying to do the right and honorable thing before God and all of the men that God has given him. And we're talking hundreds of men that David had following him. And in his pouring out of himself to his God, he says things like that. God, would you just destroy my enemies? Remember, uh, what's his name? I can't remember his name now. The guy that came to the tabernacle when David was running from Saul, Doeg the Edomite or something like that, and he saw that that uh, David had gotten the the the, the sword. Yeah. Anyway, and in his in one of the Psalms, he says, "Just take do to him what he wanted to do to me. Just do it." I mean, there's literally this just this pouring out of venom from his heart. And so, if you if you if you look at that and you say, "Okay, this is brought into the scriptures." This is brought into, literally, this was their song book. This was the Hebrews' psalms, their hymn. The psalms were the Hebrews' hymn book for their time of worship. I'd hate to be the worship leader trying to pick a good song and make everybody feel good during their worship time. Because, hmm. see, that's not what it's about. It's about being genuine and real and honest as you worship God. And so if you are in the depths of despair, isn't it false to stand there with your face all smiley and say, everything's good. I love Jesus. I've got certain promises that I'm holding on to. Even though you're literally dying on the inside. Isn't it much more appropriate to say, Oh, God's Dennis! And I blame you, God. It's not fair. I have trusted you with my life. And you didn't fulfill the promises as I thought you were supposed to. It's not fair. But see, we don't allow ourselves that freedom to be genuine with God. Even though we say he sees us and he knows the desires of our hearts. Because see, the desires of our hearts, it's all about getting good stuff. But half if not all half, almost half of their worship songs were crying out, saying, God, this isn't right. This isn't fair. And we haven't even talked about the fact that there's an entire book in the Bible called Lamentations. You've probably read it maybe once. Because it's not a fun one to read. But we're going to look at Lamentations just for a little bit. Now, there's no way we have time this morning to do an ex a full exposition of this book. Just know that Lamentations is written by an unknown author. Most scholars believe that that author was Jeremiah, but it's never named in the book, so we don't have any definitive proof. There are five chapters to this book. Each of these chapters, if you were to open up your Bible and look, depending on how your Bible is formatted, you'll see that these chapters, each one of them, are poetry, not prose. So what does that mean? In the same way that the Psalms are poetry, not prose, Lamentations is more lamenting Psalms, okay? If you were to look at Psalm, I mean, Lamentations chapter 3, which is where we're going to look right now. 
Lamentations chapter 3, if you could read it in the ancient Hebrew, you would see that this song, this poem, is an acrostic poem. What does an acrostic poem look like? Does anybody know what that term means, you teachers of English? An acrostic poem is one where they either all start with the same letter, or maybe they spell out something, or maybe they go through the letters of the alphabet. So the first letter of the first line would be, would be a word beginning with A. Then the first word of the second line would be a word beginning with the word letter B. The third line would be a, a word starting with the letter C, and so on, if you're going through the English alphabet. And so, saw, I mean, Lamentations chapter 3 is an acrostic poem. Again, we don't have time. There are 66 verses in Lamentations chapter 3. But Lamentations chapter 3 has some pretty powerful, powerful stuff. Verse 1. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. Who is the writer talking about? The writer is talking about God. That's a pretty strong accusation about my loving father who's supposed to care for me and give me the desires of my heart. Look at verse 13 if you have your Bible open. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. That's a pretty powerful statement. I have become the laughing stock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me. Sated means satisfied. He has satisfied me with wormwood. He's made my teeth grind on gravel. He's made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has, my endurance has perished, and so has my hope from the Lord. That's not an uplifting statement. I mean, if I want to have devotions, I want to hear about promises and and good stuff, and I want to know that God loves me. Not that he's going to stick arrows in my kidneys. But then look at verse 19 and following. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. And he goes on. 
Moving on to the next page in my Bible, and um, wait a minute, where is it? I thought it was in the next page. <sighs> Sorry. Now I can't find it. I apologize. I, I thought I had it marked, but I don't. Um, there's a point where he, he gets to the point where he says, I need you to examine me. Is there anything wrong with me? Huh? 40? There it is. Thank you. I was thinking it was higher up on my page. It's at the bottom of my page. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. You have wrapped yourself with anger and pursued us, killing without pity. You have wrapped yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. You have made us scum and garbage among the peoples. All our enemies open their mouths against us. Now, he was just talking about the steadfast love of God and God's faithfulness. But then he goes into this, again. Verse 55, I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. And you came near when I called on you, and you said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You've redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong done to me, O Lord. Touch my cause. You've seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. You've heard their taunts, O Lord, all their plots against me, the lips and the thoughts of my assailants, and against me all the day long. Behold, they're sitting and they're rising. I'm the object of their taunts. You will repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. You will give them dullness of heart. You will curse, your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Lord. This person is bipolar. In 66 verses, they go from, I hate my life, to God loves me, I have no hope. I hear God say, don't fear, I'm ugly, I'm vile, kill my enemies, kill them. And it doesn't even end on a nice note. But what I get from this is that God allows it. God allows us to vent. I mean, it's kind of like somebody comes up to you and says, and, you, and they go, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said all that. And you say, well, where else should you have said it? If you're not safe coming to your best friend, saying all of the stuff that's in your heart, where else can you go? Or in your home? If you don't have the freedom and the permission to be genuine and real in your home, where else should you be genuine and real but in your home? And that same thing falls true when you get before your Father who is in heaven. If you cannot be genuine and real with your Father who is in heaven and pour out everything that's in you, the good, the bad, the ugly, the vile, the nasty, Fussing and cussing. I used to tell the youth that were in this in this room on Friday nights, listen, if you have to swear when you talk to God, swear. He's not going to get all upset. He's not going to be offended because, I mean, he's heard it all. 
The point is, is that you need to be real, genuine, and honest and not hide anything from him. The reality is, is that you need to be, you need to be free to say, God, I do not like what you're allowing in my life right now. And I don't think it's fair. And I'm not going to put on a mask and pretend like it's okay. Cause it's not okay. But see, that's the problem with Western Christianity. Cause we don't allow that. In our corporate worship, we don't ever talk about ugly. We don't ever talk about dirty. We talk about, we used to be, but now it's all good. Even in the holiness movement, we talk about the idea that the Holy Spirit comes in and I no longer struggle with the temptation to sin. Really? I don't know what Holy Spirit you got, but the Holy Spirit I got don't quite take away all the temptations. What it does is it gives me the ability to say no to the temptations. But he doesn't stop them from coming. And he doesn't keep me from falling. If I choose to rebel, he's like, you know, this isn't best for you. Too bad, I'm doing it anyway. All right, go. But don't ask me to fix it when you break it. Because, you know, I already tried to stop you. Oh, now you're mad at me because your thing got broke? What is this garbage? But see, you can have a genuine and real and honest give and take with the Lord in your personal private time because if you can't do it there, where can you do it? But you see, we have this understanding or mindset that we've been taught from the time we were little. God loves you and he has a perfect plan for your life. And he wants you to just have the best. And then we got into the stupid prosperity stuff. And the reality is, half of the worship songs of ancient Israel were the genuine and real, I don't like this and you need to do something about it, God. So can you let yourself go? Let me tell you, backing up a little bit to the song that we looked at at the very beginning. There's a Christian who is part of a very famous secular music group. His name, his, his, his professional name is Bono. B-O-N-O. He's with a group known as U2. He's a rock and roll or a rock star. He's a famous, very wealthy, very prominent musician, singer. He's also a very outspoken Christian. Loves the Lord with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength while he's saying four-letter words. That's who he is. And he said, and this is what started this whole stupid week for me. He said, Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah is an incredible hymn for the church to start using. Because it is a song of lament. And it lets people really know what it's like to love and serve God. There is a line that is used twice in this version that we looked at. Talking about what is love, it says, it's a cold and broken hallelujah. What does the word hallelujah mean? It means praise Yah, praise Yahweh, praise the Lord. 
So Leonard Cohen, who happens to be Jewish by, or happened, he's, he's dead, but happened to be Jewish by, by his, his, his genealogy and his culture, he said in his psalm, uh, his lament, which started out in some biblical references but ended up just being his own life, love is a cold and broken praise of God. And what I think is powerful about this song, even though I've hated it for so long, I'm coming to really appreciate it as I've listened to it over and over and over again this week, is being real and genuine and honest in your brokenness. Even when your heart is cold. Just like the book of Lamentations chapter 3. I am so upset but I recognize there's a God and he's real and he's faithful and his mercies are new every morning and I still hate what he's doing in my life but I still have hope and I still wish that he would just visit violence on my enemies but I still love him and that's what it really means to be genuine and real in relationship with God instead of religion with God We are about to take communion. But one of the things that the scriptures admonishes us is to examine ourselves before we partake. And so, I'm going to play the song one more time. I asked you during the first playing to focus on the song. I want you now to focus on you. Look at your heart. Look at your own real honest relationship with God. If everything's good, then say so. If things aren't so good, then say so. If there's areas that he's, he's pointing out to you where there is indeed sin that's unconfessed and unrepented, then do the business that's necessary. If you are angry because someone that you loved has been harmed and you're angry and you want those people to be harmed in the same way that they've harmed you, then be genuine and honest with God and admit that those feelings are there. But make sure when you take the bread and the juice this morning that you've been real and genuine and honest with God. And if you need to lament, lament! If you need to worship and praise and jump up and down and scream and say, God, I love you, I love you, then do that. Take the mask off. Take the mask off. 